0: Again, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we read in our Gospel reading this morning, I want to talk about that. I don't know of anything that brings more grief to the human heart um, than death. It can be the death of a loved one or even a family pet. You know, and Sometimes we go through things in life that disturb us or bother us, but, but death is in its own category. Many times, for, for many people... Um, there's a sense of hopelessness associated with with death, Um, and it can cause us to despair for not only our friends and family and our loved ones, but even even for ourselves. That is, until we receive uh, the power and the glory that Jesus uh, pops with on the scene. Now, um, in recent history, and I say recent history, I mean like the last hundred years maybe or so, um, we've kind of changed how we do funerals and how we view funerals back in the day, it was pretty unceremoniously that they would take a coffin and they would just lower it down into a six-foot hole with some ropes and you know say a few words and that would kind of be it. We've gone way past that now and we better understand how Jesus fits into that and how he changes the scene, how he breaks into our lives anywhere and everywhere that he shows up and changes the scene. So it seems that every time that we read a gospel, we read about Jesus popping onto the scene, Uh, the people who were there um, had something to talk about for the rest of their lives. I mean, can you imagine being on that scene? Um, Have you ever witnessed something that was so amazing that you told everyone about it and everyone around you wanted to hear about it? Um, I sometimes... um, get a little bit of flack for using sports analogies a lot, but, you know, the Apostle Paul uses sports analogies all the time. So I'm going to use a couple of amazing events where people, when people were at these events, uh, talked about them for a long time. For example, this guy right here, how about Wilt the Stilt, scoring 100 points in a basketball game. You know, uh, reports say that there were about, um, basketball wasn't a huge thing back in those days, um, but, I mean, it was a thing, obviously, but like 3,500 people maybe were in attendance, but now there's like 40,000 people that say they were at that game, right? Or how about this one? This one's maybe a little more contemporary for us, the U.S. hockey team, 1980, we all got to see that one. Um, this is where Al Michael said, do you believe in miracles? And he said, yes, the miracle on ice. That was a, quite an event. And we talked about that one for a long time. Maybe we weren't actually in Lake Placid, but we saw it on TV and we all talked about it for a very long time. This next one you may or may not want to talk about, the 2017 Super Bowl. This is where the New England Patriots were down twenty-eight to three late in the third quarter, and they come. To, that's a winning touchdown right there. They came back and won that game. Anybody that saw that game, like I said, like it or not, uh, we're going to be talking about that. So we talked about those moments. We could talk about the Bucks winning the championship too, right? We talked about that for a while. Well, this morning we just read something that was um, so amazing. Um, I wish we had a time machine, and that's what we're actually going to do. We're going to get in a time machine so we can go back and witness this scene. Um, for ourselves, and we can feel what was going on there. I mean, um, think about it. You know, Jesus brought a person back to life. You know, interrupted a funeral and brought a person back to life. I I seriously doubt if any of us have seen a person brought back to life. you know, maybe there's some people in the, in the medical field that say, well, we actually see that, you know, quite often. Well, my question to them is then, well, how many times has it happened at the funeral home? You know, how many times has Jesus walked in or did somebody come out of the funeral home um, alive? Because that's pretty much it. Um, if that happened today, if somebody witnessed that, if we somehow captured that moment, we would be talking about that for the rest of our lives, how that happened. And people, like I said, would never get tired of hearing it. So you probably um, think about it, um, something like that, every day of your life, you know, saying, you know, Jesus, these people said, well, Jesus just walked up and, and touched this coffin and said, get up, and this kid did it. And so now we want to look at that, um, how, we should, how we should apply these verses to our lives, how we should apply this, this historical account to our lives. You know, why did Luke include it? Why did the Holy Spirit include this, this, um, this uh, historical account, this story, in the, in the Bible, um, this focus should be that Jesus um, is the Son of God. The Word became flesh. The visible um, image of the invisible God who has power over death. Um, and not only that, we got to remember that Jesus is the only one that has the power to bring the dead back to life. So let's climb in the old time machine here and see what happened. What exactly Who was involved in in how it went down? Actually, before we do that, I just like to frame um, things in our minds, maybe visually, so we can know where we are. Where is the city of Nain? It's actually pronounced more like nine, but I say Nain just to keep it simple. So let's take a look at the map here. It's kind of the same area we've been in the last couple of weeks. You see, that's the Sea of Galilee right there. Um, You see Capernaum to the north. We were there last week. And then Nazareth, just under the G in Galilee right there. We were there a couple of weeks ago. Well, Nain is just right in that, in that same region. Um, it's about four miles from, from the mountain, about 25 miles from Capernaum. Um, Capernaum is where Jesus set up his ministry after he left Nazareth, where he set up his earthly ministry. Um, again, we were there a couple of weeks ago, or just last week, actually. Uh, the word Nain means, um, means beauty or pleasantness. Um, in Hebrew... Uh, the word "Nain" or Nine actually refers to like green pastures or loveliness. So, uh, Nain may have, have earned its uh, name because of the location right there on the hills. Um, it's got a great view over the plain of, of Carmel and uh, the hills of Nazareth, obviously, White Peak. So, all right. So, Nain at one time was fairly prosperous. But then historians tell us that there was a shift in the economics there and the, that city never really recovered. So um, that's where we are. It, it still remains today as a tiny little um, um, settlement. So let's pick it up, um, this historical account, this historical event as Luke lays it out um, in verse 11. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been in chapter 4 of Luke. Today we're going to be in chapter 7. So it says here in verse 11, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. A large crowd followed him. Now, okay, there's a lot going on in this one verse. Um, the first thing that should maybe come to our mind is soon after what? Soon, soon after what? Okay, so soon after Jesus healed a centurion's son, um, Jesus is walking to Nain uh, from Capernaum, And the centurion um, interrupts that whole thing and says, um, My son is really sick. I think he's going to die, and and I'm asking you to heal him. And and Jesus said, You know, I've never seen faith like this. Jesus doesn't know the kid's name. He doesn't know his address. He doesn't know anything about the sickness or anything, but he says to the centurion, um, Go home and be in peace because your son is going to be fine. Halfway or before he really even gets home, um, the people meet him and tell the centurion, "Um, Yes, your son has been healed. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. And so, so, uh, the people knew all this stuff that was going on. So, after he left Capernaum, there were great crowds following him, right? It says a large crowd was following him. Um, and, uh, you know, because they didn't want to, they wanted to see what was going to happen next. They didn't want to, to miss what was going to happen next. Um, this large crowd, and this, this is the NLT translation, large crowd is actually the words, um, an exceedingly large multitude followed him. So, there was a. There was a lot of people, again, because they didn't want to miss um, what was going to happen next and what Jesus was going to do next. Now, um, the city of Nain, uh, a lot of those cities at that time, most of the cities at that time, had uh, a wall around them to protect them. Nain didn't. Nain didn't need one because they had so many natural barriers around it and there was just one little skinny road um, going into the, into the village or into the city. Now, um, that, that was for military purposes. You know, It wasn't a wide road so you can't march 16 people uh, you know, with shields coming into the city. They would be, uh, just a couple of files would be able to go in at once. And most scholars agree, and myself included, that we can know exactly the road that Luke was talking about here, where this whole scene took place. Now you're probably wondering, okay, why are you telling me this? All right, let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, A funeral procession was coming out of the city as he, Jesus, approached the village gate, the village of Nain's gate. Uh, The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Okay, so we see large crowd twice here, but those are very different words that we're talking about here. Um, so the one that was following Jesus was an exceedingly large multitude, right? Okay, this one um, it means a sizable crowd or actually means a sufficient crowd because it's a funeral procession. So Luke is talking to the people back in the day, right? Because um, it mattered how many people were mourning this you know, with a funeral. So um, if you didn't have enough uh, family and relatives to help you mourn. You actually went out and hired professionals to come in to make it look like we were really, you know, sad that this person we lost this person. This woman woman didn't need that. She had an incredible amount of support from from the village and from maybe her fr- friends and family and things like that that, that went out with her. So, um, uh, so now we have one crowd approaching the city with Jesus, right? This exceedingly great multitude approaching the city. We have another crowd um, leaving the city. Um, Just to the west of Nain uh, were these burial caves and tombs that are still there, actually. Probably the destination of that that funeral party when Jesus intercepts them. So we have two crowds about to intersect each other. Right, One crowd is following life and the other crowd is literally following death. I'll say that again. One crowd is following life and the other crowd is literally following death. Um, One can only imagine how different the moods were um, with these two crowds. Uh, the people with Jesus, full of anticipation, full of excitement, wondering what he's going to do next. Um, you know, why are we heading to Nain of all places? You know, how is he going to mess with the Pharisees next? And things, you know, That's what they're wondering. There's joy, there's laughter, uh, there's hope. There's probably a lot of talking going on there. The other group coming out of the city is the exact opposite. Right? A widow's son had died is how we see it here. That tells us a lot. A widow's only son had died. So, obviously, uh, this woman has lost her husband and now has lost her only son. And that is devastating back in the day because women relied on their husbands for everything, for their means of support. And if the husband died, well, that's okay because she's got a son that's going to come up and she, he's going to be able to take care of her um, throughout the year. Well, now she's lost him, too. And so that really paints a devastating picture of what we've got going on here. So the people coming out of that city, like I said, not only is it a funeral procession, that's bad enough to begin with, but now this situation and the scene that we've got going here is absolutely devastating for what's going on. So the crowd coming out of the city had no joy. Um, They had had sorrow. They didn't have the laughter that Jesus' crowd had. They had weeping coming out. So completely the opposite. Not hope, but but despair. And and I'm sure when when the crowd with Jesus saw that scene, um, their mood changed immediately. The road, the reason I talked about the road going into Nain is that it's certainly not wide enough for both groups to go at one time. So the ones with Jesus probably moved to the side, stood to the side, kind of like we do when we see a funeral processional coming down, right? You see, you see the the, the, um, the funeral coach coming down the road with a little light on top of it, and we pull over, right? If, if we're having a conversation, we probably stop talking. We might even turn off the radio, right? And we're certainly not laughing and cutting it up while this funeral procession is coming by, right? We see all these cars with the headlights going on. So, all right, the mood changes for everyone in Jesus' crowd, except for Jesus. Um, this guy, instead, Jesus, you know, instead of moving aside, goes right through that crowd and right up to the kid's mom. He cuts right through it, and I mean, this is a social faux pas, right? But he cuts right through them, I mean, and, and he talks to her, Right? In verse 13, the Lord saw the woman, said he felt very sorry for her, and said, Don't cry. Um, now first, you know, before we get into this, um, it's unusual for Luke to write like this, to um, talk about um, emotions like this. He doesn't really get into Jesus' emotions. Well, why, why does he do it here? You know, and we, when we read, like I, I've always said, from like a literary standpoint, when something like this stands out, we should really take a second and examine it and see what Luke is, is getting to, what his point is getting to over what his point is getting to. Um, so Luke is doing this because he, he wants us to know how much Jesus hates death. Um, as much as anyone else. And it, it, he knows the pain that it brings. He knows the emotions that it brings. Especially to this lady. He knows this scene. She was completely lost. A husband and, and a son to support her were both gone. You know, their only means of support. But Jesus breaks through. He breaks through the crowd. He breaks through the mess. And he looks her in the eye. And he says, Don't cry, which is kind of a crazy thing to say when you think about it, because, like I said before, um, you know, uh, with this culture, like I said, if you didn't have enough people mourning, you hired people to come in. They were professional wailers and criers that would come in and and help, you know, the scene uh, be what they thought it was supposed to be. But Jesus says, Don't cry, because he knows what he's about to do. He's about to turn her sorrow into joy. So Jesus comes up and he touches. Uh, the briar. It's not a coffin, by the way. It's a pallet. Verse 14. Um, he came up and touched the briar. This is um, N-E-T, the New uh, English Translation. Uh, and those who carried it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. So this not, it's not a box. It's a pallet that they're carrying on. This kid's laying on top of this, of this pallet thing, and they're carrying it up on their shoulders. And um, I could show you probably 20 scriptures, 12 off the top of my head, where um, you are not supposed to touch anything associated with a dead person because then you become unclean. It's okay for these guys, and they understand it. The pallbearers, as we would call them, they understand it. Okay, this is the scene that we're on. But nobody in the crowd, nobody in that scene would come up and and actually touch that, physically touch that, because they would become um, physically unclean. But Jesus says, I don't care. So he goes up, he touches the briar, those who carried it stopped, stood still, uh, a little surprised that this whole thing is happening right now, that this dude comes up. And then he says, young man, I say to you, um, get up, or, or, or the Greek, Greek word, arise, which is kind of a crazy thing, actually, because, um, so get up, this, this is a, a verb, right? And it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a command, right? It's in the imperative mood, we say in the Greek, but it's, it's in the passive Mood. So Jesus is saying, "Let me try to explain this." Jesus is telling him to do something that is about to happen to him. Um, We wouldn't say to a baseball, um, "You know, go over there as we throw it." But that's basically what Jesus is saying, right? The ball had no choice but to be thrown, right? This kid had no choice but to come back to life and to sit up. And then it says he starts talking. So this is something that, that's being done to him. It's not something that he did physically himself. Does that make sense? It's not something that he had the choice to do or made the choice to do. Jesus said, hey, just get up. No, Jesus commanded him and then gave him the power and then, and then did it to the kid. So he sits up. He's being ordered to, be, to do this. And he receives this action, this power, this authority from Jesus. So the young man sits up and he starts talking. And Jesus gave him back to his mother, is the way verse 15 says. So again, Jesus literally breathes life back into this young man. Literally breathes life back into this young man. Um, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is able to speak life into, into a dead person. So the response is this in verse 16. Great fear, no kidding, swept across the crowd. Uh, and they praise God, saying, "A mighty prophet has written among us, risen among us, and that's why we read about uh, about Elijah back there a second ago." And then it says, "God has visited his, visited His people today." Um, literally, you know, their response was uh, was fear seizing them, and as if you know, and if we had that time machine, we would have been scared and freaked out as well. A s- display of this ultimate power. They all recognized that it was an act of God. Look at that last sentence. God has visited his people here today. And only God's power. I mean, there's no other explanation for it. When they say a great prophet has written there, they're saying that they're acknowledging God's presence there among them. Literally acknowledging that Jesus is God. Because only God can raise someone from the dead. Now, as we climb back... Out of that time machine, you know, i just like to ask us what we just witnessed here. What did we just see happen? Well, we saw two crowds, right? We saw two crowds converge. Remember the difference that I said, you know, um, one crowd was following life, the other crowd was following death. You are in the crowd following life, following Jesus, trying to learn from him watching him do these miraculous signs in the lives and the hearts of these people, You're listening to his teachings and, and conforming your lives to his. And just like the people who are following Jesus, you, know, you sense the joy, the excitement of being in the presence of, of Christ. But here's the thing, and, and there's no getting around this, at some point, Your life is going to coincide, is going to run into that crowd or intersect with that crowd that's following death and destruction or somebody from that crowd following death and destruction. The world, as we sometimes call it, follows its own cravings, follows its own desires, its own foolishness, selfishness, made-up gods. And whether they realize it or not, following death straight to the graveyard. Jesus orchestrated this moment. Right? These two crowds intersecting on this day at that point in time. It was Jesus' design, his plan, to raise that young man on that day so that Luke could write about it, so we could read it here. Those two crowds um, intersect or interact, you know, when, when, I should say, when those two crowds interacted. You know, I'm sure there were questions from the people from Nain talking to the people that were following Jesus. Like, who is this guy? Right. Well, we've been following him for weeks now from Capernaum and Nazareth and all over. Maybe the next question is, tell me more about him. Maybe the next question would be, what just happened here? As if they could answer that, Right? Nobody can describe exactly what they all just witnessed. But the most important question that might come from that other crowd is, you know, why do you follow him? What's going on here? Why should I follow him? 1 Peter 3.15 says this to you, but keep the Lord Jesus Christ holy in your hearts. Always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have. Not the hope that we create. Not the hope that we try to hang our hat. No, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Why are you in that crowd? Why are you following him? Here's the other thing. God wants our crowd to intersect with the crowd of the world. Jesus didn't just pass them by without a second glance. No, he headed straight for them. And interacted with them because he knew where they were headed. He has compassion for people. He isn't afraid to get his hands dirty and to get involved. So my question for you this morning isn't some kind of simple you know, third-grade answer, which crowd are you in? No, I'm, I'm not asking that. That's way too easy and that's way too superficial. My real question is, are you avoiding that other crowd? He's quietly standing over by the side and just waiting for it to pass and wait for it to be done so we can just keep going on with our lives. Or are you making time to intersect, interact, make sure your paths cross, making contact with people who need to hear this stuff? Find them at school. Find them at the gym. Find them at work, while you're coaching a football team, while you're playing baseball, while you're at a PTA meeting. Everywhere, all the time. And I really love this passage, this historical account, because it's, it's crystal clear. It's a crystal clear story of the gospel and what it's supposed to, what's supposed to happen with it, what we're supposed to do with it. Jesus didn't give us all this to give us some kind of warm fuzzy when we hear these verses. No, he, he came to make our cold, um, dead hearts bring them back to life. He expects us to believe in him and then proclaim it to the world. Make a difference in the world. So Jesus' miracle, this resurrection in the town of Nain, was, was for those uh, that were present, without doubt. But it also serves as a reminder to all of us of his promise that he says, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but he'll have everlasting life. Does that one sound familiar? So here's my hope. Well, first of all, I hope you enjoyed the time machine ride that we had this morning. But we want to see Jesus, and he brings people back to himself, brings us back from the grave on a daily and a moment-by-moment basis. So that's the thing that I want you to witness. Remember those things that we talked about at the beginning here, the things that were amazing, and the things that we talked about around the water cooler, and we wanted to share those stories with each other and experiences with each other. We need to do the same thing with the Lord that lives inside of us, with the crowd that we're in. We need to share that with this, from this crowd. We need to share it with a crowd that really needs to hear it. Jesus went out of his way to talk to them. Are you willing to do that? Amen? Amen. Okay, let's stand.